Welcome to Interrevolutionary Radio with your host, Beth Green. This is James Maynard, your co-host. This week's topic, Do Well-Meaning Doctors Damage Us with Unsafe Medicines? J.D. Baer tells us that we urgently need to do our homework. Is he right? Few things can be more frightening than threats to our health, and so we desperately want to believe that someone has reliable answers. But suppose those on whom we rely are misinformed or misled. That never happens. (laughs) J.D. Baer has investigated some widely prescribed drugs, and he says he has unearthed damning information that demonstrates that they can be downright dangerous. He claims that scientific records can be corrupted, and that our doctors have been misled into thinking that all approved drugs are safe and effective when they are not. We know that big tobacco has lied, big energy companies have lied, and the lead and asbestos industries have lied. So could big pharmaceutical companies lie too? Yeah. Hear J.D.'s research on some popular drugs and listen to his suggestions for determining for ourselves whether to take the medications our doctors prescribe. Like it or not, we need to support our doctors by questioning them, especially when it applies to our health or that of someone we love. And now, here's Beth. Welcome to our show today. I'm really excited and interested to hear about this topic. And in fact, I found an article about needless surgeries that's really about the same kind of thing that JD is talking about, but we will get to that later. In the meantime, I just want to say hello to all of our listeners and to the listeners on all our Pacifica affiliates. So, first we have James. With the news of the inner revolution, you know, the inner revolution is about oneness, accountability, and mutual support. And since there's so much, I don't know, upsetting information in that JD is going to share with us, we decided to make the news really upbeat today. Take it away, <laughs> James. Okay. There's a lot of good news this week, and we're going to share some of it with you now. And by good news, we mean signs that people are moving toward oneness, accountability, and mutual support. So here goes. Now, this will make you laugh. It was reported by the Washington Post on July the 28th, and the headline is, The Future of Produce is Ugly. (laughs) Twisted, blemished, mutated, and deformed, to be specific. And that's because an increasing number of grocery chains and crop-sharing services have begun stocking and distributing fruits and vegetables that were once deemed unfit for sale based solely on appearance. To be clear, these goods aren't damaged or rotten or distasteful. But now we're going to start having ugly, more and more ugly produce. Isn't that great? Isn't that great? (laughs) (laughs) We are collectively beginning to confront how we waste food, which is a step toward accountability. But it's interesting how we simultaneously are beginning to let go of the obsession with perfection in looks. Like there's one look that is perfect. And we're talking about people... People here, especially women, more and more women of different colors, shapes, and physical condition, are being recognized as beautiful too, except toward oneness among people and oneness with vegetables. (laughs) Another cool story this week was reported by the Washington Post on July July the 29th. It's about child marriage. The article reports that Tanzania, Gambia, and the state of Virginia have officially banned child marriage. Did I hear you right? The state of Virginia. Tanzania has one of the highest rates in the world, and Human Rights Watch calls its ban a critical step forward. In Gambia, about 30% of girls are married before they turn 18, and so this is an important move, too. A ban against child marriage also went into effect in perhaps a more surprising place. Listen to this. Virginia, USA, where girls as young as 13 had been allowed to wed 
if they were pregnant and had parental consent. Uh, nearly 4,500 children under age 18 were married in Virginia from 2004 to 2013, according to the state's Department of Health. Isn't that, that shocking? Yeah. That includes more than 200 children age 15 or younger. The Washington Post story noted, adding that in many cases, the girls married men age 21 or older, and sometimes the men were decades older. Now, what does this have to do with the inner revolution? Women have long been treated as property around the world. Are we finally beginning to understand oneness includes all of us? We've just seen another really interesting story about consciously declaring oneness in a story reported by the Associated Press July the 30th. You may have heard of a Muslim recently killing a French priest. Well, here's the good news, which you may have missed. In a gesture of solidarity following the gruesome killing of a French priest, Muslims on Sunday attended Catholic Mass in churches and cathedrals across France and Italy. An Associated Press reporter at the scene said that a few dozen Muslims gathered at the towering Gothic Cathedral in Rouen, near where the 85-year-old Reverend Jacques Hamel had his throat slit by two teenage Muslim fanatics on Tuesday. He said, we are very moved by the presence, I'm sorry, it's not him, it was Dom Dominique <laughs> Lebrun. We are very moved by the presence of our Muslim friends, and I believe it is a courageous act that they did by coming to us, that he said after the service. Outside the church, a group of Muslims were applauded when they unfurled a banner, love for all, hate for none. In another interesting story related to Muslim women, the Huffington Post reported on August 1st that Iranian men donned women's hijabs to challenge compulsory, compulsory veiling law, donning a headscarf and wearing loose, modest clothing in public to prevent sexual advances from men has been enforced for Iranian women since conservative laws were passed in 1983 following the Islamic Revolution in 1979. Punishments for disobedience can range from detention to lashes, but many women have started to rebel. Iranian journalist Masi Alinejad launched the social media campaign hashtag men in hijab to encourage men to play a role in supporting women's rights and advocating for change by posting photos of themselves with a headscarf. And men have been doing it. Alinejad said, to be clear, we are not against the hijab. If you want to wear it, you should wear it. Women in Iran don't have a choice. Yay for her and for all the men supporting this movement. This is not the first time that we've seen Muslim men coming on for women's rights. Oneness again. And by the way, the Washington Post reported on August the 2nd that Egypt's Grand Mufti, who holds one of the highest positions on religious authority in Egypt, recently said that hurting gays and lesbians is unacceptable, despite the fact that homosexuality is not allowed in Islam. Meanwhile, the Egyptian authorities have been arresting people alleged to be gay or transgender. Alam, who took the position of Grand Mufti in 2013, is widely known for his moderate views, and his comments on homosexuality come in stark contrast with other religious authorities in Egypt. So Just it's to a, make sure it's that you got that, yeah, that it's hurting gays is not allowed, even though they, he believes that homosexuality isn't allowed in right. Islam. I, I think that's really, a, you know, it's a beginning. It's yeah. not all the way. It's like, you know, gay, straight, whatever, transgender. But uh, it's something. 
Yes. And talking about a new awakening to oneness and the rights of others, the Taiwanese government has issued its first apology to indigenous people. We have to face the truth, Tsai Ing-wen said to representatives of the native tribes of Taiwan, and she offered its fullest apology for the treatment of aboriginal Taiwanese. This reminds us that prejudice and discrimination exists around the world, not just in the U.S. We guess we are one also in the way we discriminate or exploit others. Now back to women. Our listener Anne sent us a story from Global Citizen reporting that on August the 3rd, Massachusetts has passed the first Pay Equity Act requiring employers to pay women the same as men for comparable work and forbidding employers to ask people for salary history. The new law is groundbreaking for its comparable standard between men and women. Most equal pay laws in the United States require employers to offer the same compensation to people doing the exact same job. The Massachusetts bill defines the new standard as work being, quote, substantially similar in content and requiring substantially similar skill, effort, responsibility, and performed under similar working conditions, unquote. This is important because for years, companies have used minute differences in responsibility or title to justify gender wage gaps. Broadening the assessment to comparable work gives women seeking fair pay a much larger range of jobs to reference when talking to their employers. While you're smiling, if just a little, here's more good news. The Huffington Post reported August the 1st that veteran homelessness has dropped by nearly 50% thanks to partnerships and programming. The U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development announced on Monday. This success is attributed to the White House's first ever strategic plan and a collaboration between HUD and the Department of Veteran Affairs. I guess that means that that government, that government can make a huge difference in people's lives when it's working for the people. We're going to slip in a little bad news here. This is reported in the Huffington Post on August the 2nd. A devastating dose of long-term climate change combined with a strong El Nino in 2015, seemingly left every major climate record on the books shattered, according to an annual international climate report released Tuesday. The State of the Climate Report, led by the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration and described as Earth's annual physical, finds that the health of the planet has once again fallen into uncharted territory. It, quote, shows not only that the temperature of the planet is increasing, but all the related symptoms that you might expect to see with a rising temperature are also occurring. Yikes, really bad. Although the U.S. government is now instructing federal agencies to consider the environmental impact of their actions and programs, which is a real positive. Wow. Hope Donald Trump doesn't become president because he'd reverse all of that. And still on the upside, we're going out with a couple of positive stories where people are fighting for oneness. First, as reported by the NPR August the 2nd, in the past two weeks, five courts in five states ruled against voter ID and proof of citizenship laws whose purpose is to disenfranchise minorities and the poor. This included Texas, North Carolina, Wisconsin, Kansas, and North Dakota. And speaking of elections, also according to NPR, in reports sent us by listener Chris, mosques are starting to focus on getting out the vote which is an unusual move for them. Now, here's a different kind of oneness. During the ongoing California fires, prisoners in a maximum security prison rescued deaf dogs who were forced to evacuate from a sanctuary for the deaf animals. 
That's oneness with the animals. But that also reminds us that the prisoners are people too, who can have love in their hearts when given a chance. That's cool. And there was a story in MSN today that whites are increasingly waking up to racism. It took horrible images of blacks being killed unnecessarily by some police officers, but the awakening is taking place. And finally, here's a great story on the same theme of oneness. Rival L.A. gangs raised arms in solidarity at a peace summit. On July the 17th, some 2,500 gang leaders met with one another. Rappers, Nation of Islam Minister Tony Muhammad, who organized the event, L.A. Mayor Eric Garcetti, Police Chief Charles Beck, and religious leaders of diverse denominations, in addition to families and friends of gang victims. Through the entire afternoon, not a single act of violence took place. This is an ongoing effort. Wow, we're happy to announce that we will be interviewing one of the organizers, Risa Islam, from United in Peace, one of the sponsors of this amazing movement. He'll be coming on our show in two weeks on August the 18th. Beth? Well, you know, we sometimes get so caught up in the negative news. I certainly do. I mean, we, you know, when we're looking at the electorals and stuff, I mean, as, there's so much pettiness and nonsense and vitriol. And there's a lot of bad st- stuff going on in our society. So it's really great to just sit back and listen to you, James. And tell us of some of the good things that are happening in our world. <laughs> and one of the good things that's happening in our world is our guest, J.D. Bear, who's been doing a lot of research on our behalf so we don't have to do it. So, so J.D. is going to come on and talk to us about good doctors, bad medicine, and everything in between. So we'd like to welcome you to our show. Welcome, J.D. Hello. Yes, thanks, Beth. Thanks for having me on your show. Well, J.D. is an old friend of mine, I'm happy to say. And while I wasn't looking, he got very involved in studying medication. And uh, he's come up with some startling information. And it's, it could impact a lot of people. And not only you, but it could impact somebody you know, you love, a relative, a friend, a not friend. So let's tune in to listen to J.D. And J.D., first of all, what caused you to start looking at these issues? Well, the real wake-up call for me was I had uh, a, a bad a reaction to medication. Uh, and I've always been able to take medication without any problems. And uh, as a result of a medication that, was, uh, that all the literature seemingly advocated for and, and was appropriate for my condition, uh, I was, uh, uh, ended up being disabled temporarily. When I say disabled, I was unable to stand up for uh, probably several weeks uh, because my blood pressure had become dysregulated. And if I were to stand up, I would faint. And that was as a result of taking just an initial dose of a prescribed medication for a couple of weeks. Uh, the, uh, what happened, the way I discovered there was a problem was uh, uh, in the middle of the night I was going to the bathroom uh, and next thing I knew I was on the floor and I had been standing and uh, I realized I had fainted. Um, and the uh, advice for this medication is, well, it can cause lightheadedness, but uh, ignore it because your body will get adjusted to it. Well, it turned out that was a lie. And in fact, knowing what to research, knowing to look for the medication causing this kind of problem, I started digging and I found that this medication is notorious for causing this kind of problem. But wow. yet the liter- but the superficial literature uh, that described this medication essentially 
was in denial. More, worse than denial, it was lying. Well, it, what, now, what medication is that? It was a dopamine agonist. Uh, it's a class of medication prescribed for Parkinson's, uh, which I have, uh, beginning stages. I, I was very well controlled by medication. I didn't need to take it. Um, and it turns out that that's not the only problem with this class of medication. It also causes impulse control disorder. Uh, some patients who've been prescribed this medication uh, have got, you know, gotten into compulsive gambling, compulsive sexuality, compulsive eating. Uh, some people have lost all of their assets by compulsive gambling without realizing it was caused by the medication. And not only that, to make it even worse, they then had trouble getting off the medication. It's, it's called dopamine agonist withdrawal syndrome, and there have been a lot of lawsuits over this whole thing. Wow. Um, Were you able to get off it yourself like immediately because you'd only taken one dose? Uh, I, had taken a, I had taken a daily dose for 15 days straight. Oh, before this happened. That's right. The warning signs were there, but I ignored them because the literature advised to ignore them. Well, you know, a very similar thing happened to James. He ended up on the floor in the bathroom, passed out also from a medication. And isn't that when you got taken away to the hospital, James? That's right. And my skin had all turned red. Yeah, Mm. he had a, a rash from head to toe. It was really, really bad. And we had noticed some symptoms before, and we had called the person who had prescribed these, this medication, and he said, oh, don't worry about it. That's normal. You know, and, right. uh, but, you know, and it was, so it's very similar to what you're talking about. And I'd also like to throw in, in one more thing before you go on, which is that a lot of us think that it's us. You know, okay, well, I'm, I have a tendency to have a reaction to every medication. But you're talking about somebody like you who typically has not had problems with medication. So not, not to say that you could not do well with everything but this one thing, but it's such an interesting thing that you're, that you're bringing up that a medication which is widely prescribed could have this kind of impact on so many people, not so just many. on a, flu, a few fluky types. Right, right. And knowing what to look for, I found a study where uh, they gave a, one dose of this class of medication. It wasn't, and they used different meds. So the, the, there was a half dozen different dopamine agonists. They gave, uh, they had patients who were there, they were prescribing the medicine to, they gave them one dose and then measured its effect on blood pressure. And it turns out 30% of this group of patients on a single dose had the same symptoms that it caused the same problem on one dose, 30% of, of medication-naive people. So it's a commonplace reaction for this particular med. Uh, and it's, if, but if you read the literature that's put out by the, by the pharmacy, you know, big pharma, it's in total denial. And that literature is, we're not just talking about their, their, their advertising propaganda. I'm talking about, if you go, go to mainstream medical sites like Medscape or Mayo Clinic, there's all these, there's these very neat uh, doctor's manuals with monographs where they tell you everything there is to know about the medication and it's quite long. There's, they're written by doctors. They're, every other sentence is referenced to the literature. They look, they look and sound extremely authoritative and it's total propaganda. Uh, it, the, it's, written, it's written by at the behest of Big Pharma and what they do is they will minimize uh, any, uh, you know, any adverse effects. Uh, one thing in, my, in the paper I wrote then there's a link on my uh, in my bio to that. Uh, the, uh, the 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 monograph for Fosamax, they talk about uh, fractures 
due to Fosamax being extremely rare, and it's really kind of doubtful that it really even is caused by Fosamax, yada, yada, yada. Well, it turns out that some after Fosamax was approved, some large... Uh, um, studies were done with tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people. And what those studies showed was that the rate of hip fracture and femur fracture was worse with Fosamax than with nothing at all. Now, everybody, listen to this, Fosamax. Now, this uh, dopamine agonizer or whatever it is, <laughs> uh, which, you know, anyway, that sounds pretty exotic. But Fosamax... I everybody, mean, right. Everybody, well, I don't, but that's but, because I was I had an immediate allergic reaction to it, thank you, God. And, uh, you know, my mother was taking it. I mean, every this is for osteoporosis. How many women in particular have osteoporosis and right. have been told to take this medication? I find that absolutely astounding. Yes, it's <laughs> astounding. And if you get... and. I live in an area with a lot of elderly retired people, and so I was going out to dinner one night with three or four of my elderly lady neighbors, and you know I mentioned the Fosamax story, and soon enough one of our one of our group piped up and said she had suffered the jaw necrosis problem. She said it was the most painful thing she had ever experienced in her life, and it went on for weeks. Uh, fortunately, she recovered. Um, this is from this is a, another symptom. You had mentioned the fractures of the hips. Right. Uh, the, you said now this is jaw necrosis. Right, right. Is that what you uh, said? That's right. That's another uh, another adverse effect of the bisphosphonates, of which you know Fosamax is one, and there's about a half dozen of those. And uh, fractures, hip fractures, is one consequence. It makes them apparently, at least, if if you believe these large epidemiological studies, it actually makes things worse. Now, the interesting thing is, if you go into the literature. You know, every time you look up an article on Fosamax, the vast majority of them say, they start out saying, it is unquestioned that Fosamax or the bisphosphonate in question, whatever it is, is, uh, you know, effective in preventing hip fractures. Every single one of them starts with the same language, except for the studies that aren't subsidized by Big Pharma. <laughs> uh, it turns out that Big Pharma has, they have PR firms with PhDs on staff who specialize in writing articles, studies, as it were, for medical journals. And they get doctors to sign off on those. They, pay, they bribe doctors with tens of thousands of dollars to sign off on these articles that they didn't write, and they don't have access to the raw data for either. And these articles appear, and they'll take the same data, and they'll make it look different. They'll write it up differently, have different doctors sign it, and they'll, it'll show up in more than one time in the journals, and it's not obvious it's the same study behind it. And so what you end up with in the journals is that noise-to-signal ratio where you have to really look to find the good stuff, you know, the real stuff, and, you know, the, the studies that aren't big pharma studies. Well, anyway. where, where are these, you know, real studies? How come this, how can this happen? Money. Vast amounts of money. If you're making billions of dollars of profits and you want to protect those profits, that's what happens. And then you end up with an overload, an overload of propaganda in scientific journals. Now, um, I get that. That's why it happens, uh, because of the money. But are the, is the medical establishment really unaware of this? I mean, are, are they... Do they get contrary evidence, or do they only get this evidence and just naively believe it? 
Well, there is contrary evidence, but as I say, there's a noise-to-signal ratio, and Big Pharma gets to doctors in med school, starting in med school. They uh, have all kinds of you know, events, grand rounds, and all kinds of things that they, that they sponsor, and they give, they give away gifts. It could be transportation or meals or what have you, and people think they're not being influenced by it. And if you ask med students, are you being influenced by this, they'll all say no, but Studies show, haha, that in fact doctors who do receive special favors from big pharma do prescribe you know, the meds of that company more often. So they really do get influenced. So it's a sneaky, pervasive influence. It starts in med school. It continues from there. And if, if you're looking in the journals, you really have to dig to find contrary evidence, the evidence that big pharma doesn't want you to see. It's well, there, now, but you have to dig for it. Is, is that where you found the contrary evidence? Yeah, it's in medic. It's there. It's it's in medical journals, but you have to dig, and you can't just take, uh, you know, all these all these articles that recite the same mantra. At face value, you really have to start looking at, at many studies and look at the studies that are not sponsored by big pharma. Studies by studies that are done by you know public health authorities, epidemiological studies with large numbers of people. They're really tracking to really get the goods. And in my paper, I've referenced, for example, uh, for Fosamax and the bisphosphonates, I've referenced a couple of such studies. And again, those are studies with tens and hundreds of thousands of people being tracked uh, by public health agencies, not by big pharma. Now, on the other hand, when you look at the label for bisphosphonate, uh, for Fosamax, uh, you know, when, when you do a study, uh, it has to be powered. You have to have enough subjects that the chances of it accidentally coming up with a positive result is less than 5%. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, that's called you know, P less than 0.05, probability of a false positive less than 5%. When you look at the label for Vosimax, the P value for the study that got them approval was 0.047, meaning it just barely passed under the wire. Mm. And now the other thing that Big Pharma does, this came to light, is Elliot, remember Elliot Spitzer? Yeah. He kind of got run out of office because he made himself unpopular with the bankers. He also made himself unpopular with Big Pharma. Uh, he sued Could you GS- tell, tell our audience about who he is? Because a lot of people won't know who he is. Elliot Spitzer was the attorney general of the state of New York. And uh, after the uh, financial crash of 2008, he got after bankers and uh, was uh, uh, prosecuting uh, various things. He also, as I'll mention, he got after Big Pharma too. And uh, he got run out of office. Uh, basically, what happened was he withdrew $5,000 cash from a bank account to pay off a high-priced hooker. And uh, <laughs> some, you know, some banker uh, uh, you know, contrived to you know, notify Homeland Security that a suspicious withdrawal was being made from his account. And you know, the, the upshot of the whole thing was he got you know, busted, as it were, or at least you know, exposed for uh, dallying with a you know, high-priced hooker. And, you know, being a good Democrat, he resigned his office. If he were Republican, he would have just, you know, <laughs> continued in office. <laughs> but anyway, he, he sued GSK. and uh, GSK. A, Who was GSK? GlaxoSmithKline. They're a big pharma. And as a consequence of that suit, it came to light that they had run, you know, when you run a study, you're not supposed to run 20 studies and hide them. You're supposed to run a study, or whatever studies you run, you're supposed to be public. Well, it turned out that GSK had run 20 studies on the particular medicine and only had pub- revealed the ones that succeeded. Now, now, do you remember which medication that was? Uh, yeah, that was for, uh, oh gosh, um, 
uh, gabapentin, uh, neurontin. Yeah. yeah. Neurontin. Uh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, and they, 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 had, they were looking for other things to do with it besides its original uh, approved indication. And they ran 20 studies. Uh, now, if you, if you run 20 studies and the chance of each study succeeding by accident is 5%, you know, the chance of one of those 20 studies succeeding is you know, pretty high. I mean, I did the math, it's actually about 65% chance that at random, one of your 20 studies is going to come out with a positive result, even if your medicine doesn't work. And so what they did was they deep-sixed all the ones that failed. And I think there was about, I think four of them succeeded uh, and all the rest failed. Well, for one reason or another. Uh, uh, about, was it for the same medication but for the same uh, condition? It was for some other, they were looking for other indications. Okay. And so they, it was for some other indications. Uh, anyway, they found a few that passed. And they deep-sixed the ones that failed. And that's, that's fraud, basically. Uh, well, I, I'd like to understand that better uh, because if it was for 20 different conditions, then it doesn't matter if four or 19 failed if they were for the wrong, for other conditions. If they, they, what they did was they found, on some of them, they found it helped a different condition than they had specified, and they, after the fact, changed the condition, which is also cheating. Uh, in other words, you know, you, it's like sh- you're shooting an arrow at a barn and you paint a, a target around where it lands. If you're, if you're checking, let's say you have 20 different conditions you, know, you think it might help, and mm-hmm. you specify this trial is good for this particular con- a particular condition, um, but it doesn't help that one, but it helps something else maybe you didn't even think of, and you say, okay, it's good for that condition, that's, that, that's cheating because what you, because it's, it's, if you have 20 conditions that it might help, if it helps one of them, well, that could easily be an accident. You have to then, let's call it hypothesis generation when it turns out to be good for something you weren't really checking for. Uh, and what you have to do is you have to go back again now and run the study again with a pre-specified endpoint for that particular condition. Because when you have a lot of different possibilities, it's very easy for, by accident for it to look good for that particular condition. Even, even if it isn't, even though on a consistent basis it would not work for that condition. That's right. That's okay, right. so that's what I we needed to have clarified. Yeah, Otherwise, yeah. it sounds like, oh, it's okay. By you know accident, they discovered a cure for cancer. Nothing wrong with that. But right. if you're saying then they didn't do a rigorous retrial to see whether or not it was really, uh, because sometimes things work once and they do not ever work again. I mean, I've seen that. Well, right. You have to you have to you have to pre-specify the endpoint. You have to pre-specify what this is supposed to be good for, because otherwise, like I say, you're just painting you're painting a target around wherever you, it lands. And so, you know, what they did with a number of these studies was they they changed it after the fact. They you know said, oh, it's good for this other thing, mm-hmm. you know, that wasn't pre-specified. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I mean, the whole thing was invalid. It, it, you have you have to you know, pre-specify and not run. T- and not run 20 studies and keep, keep them secret. If you run 20 studies and it passes four of the studies, that says your drug probably doesn't work. Because if your drug does work, if you run 20 studies, it should show up good in the vast majority of those studies. Mm-hmm. So they never went back and did the proper kind of retesting on the ones that they worked for, but that they claimed that they did work. That's correct. They did not do the retesting. They just presented this as, you know, to the regulators as, okay, it works. Look, we did this study, and, you know, and they lied about the pre-specified endpoint and said it works for this. What about the FDA? I mean, are, who is, isn't somebody supposed to be testing these drugs or looking over this stuff for us? 
the FDA does look over it, but they don't test it. It's up to the drug companies to test it. The FDA looks at what they've done. And if they're going to hide studies that failed, the FDA doesn't know that. They're not mind readers. Mm-hmm. They don't know that bad data has been hidden from them. Mm-hmm. So all they can look at is the data they've been presented with. Mm-hmm. And so if you're the FDA and, you, and here's a good phase three study and it, you know, P less than 05 and it did what it was supposed to do, then, you know, they're operating on false information. And they, they may well approve it when, in fact, you know, what they don't know is it failed the other 19 studies and it really doesn't work. And well, what about going back to Fosamax, for example? Didn't the FDA have access to the data that showed that it worsened certain conditions? Um, no. No, no. They just had this. They, they did not. Those, that data came out after Fosamax was approved. Oh. The, the, the big epidemiological studies occurred after it was a prescribed drug, and then there was the opportunity to study what it did in the, you know, when it was out, unleashed to the public. Mm. And so, right, at the, time, at the time it was approved, the FDA had this study that said it helped with a probability of 0.047, so it just barely, just barely crossed under the, under the wire. You know, so it's kind of thing where you know, maybe if one or two events had come out differently, you know, might not, mm-hmm. might not have passed. And mm-hmm. so who knows, you know, what happened behind the scenes to, you know, make it cross just under the wire. But yes, the point is the big studies occurred after it was approved. Well, isn't there a, a conflict for a lot of people? They come up with the so-called wonder drug and people want it. And uh, they don't want it to be sitting there, you know, being tested for three years while you're dead. Um, and is there some kind of pressure to get these drugs on the market? And only then do you really have the, um, you know, the number of people that you really need to, to test it properly? It, it depends on the drug. For Fosamax, I don't think so. And for statins, that's the other guilty party, I don't think so. Now, on the other hand, we have a case here with uh, muscular dystrophy where we have kids that are going to become disabled and die if they don't get the drug. Okay, mm-hmm. and that's a completely different matter. But mm-hmm. that's not that's not the kind of drugs I'm talking about here. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, yeah, the, the life-saving cancer drug that's, you know, being trialed, and there is a compassionate use, you know, kind of exception where people can get these things even if they're not approved. But the, mm-hmm. I'm not talking about those kinds of drugs. I'm talking mm-hmm. about Fosamax. The other guilty party is the statins. Let's talk which, about those statins. Right. I mean, I, it was, gosh, it was, must have been... I think 30 years ago, my pulmonologist said, you know, your, your cholesterol is a little bit high. I think you should take statins. Same I'm so thing that happened to James. Same so thing. Gl- it was ridiculous. I'm so glad I didn't. It turns yeah. out that statins have a, they, they have a whole bunch of adverse effects. Um, uh, rhabdomyolysis, all kinds of muscle, muscle problems, muscle wasting, muscle pain. Uh, some of these can be really you know, even fatal. Uh, and if not fatal, disabling. And like uh, you know, Kristen's mom, uh, she had muscle pains and weakness for years and years and years until she took her off statins. And here's here's the kicker: of this whole thing with with fosamates. With there's the problem that statins and the bisphosphates are trying to solve. Both those problems are solved at the same time with a couple of simple vitamins and mineral supplements. I mean, that's the irony of this whole thing. Okay, mm-hmm. because. 
you know, statins, the idea of statins is, you know, to improve cardiovascular outcomes. People don't get heart attacks and strokes and stuff like that. Obviously, osteoporosis, we know, when people have, have broken bones. So what is a big cause of all that is, you know, hardening of the arteries, atherosclerosis, arteriosclerosis, calcium being deposited in the arteries. What causes calcium to get deposited in your arteries? Well, the body has machinery that takes calcium out of your bloodstream and puts it in the bones. And that machinery requires some cogs, and the cogs in that machinery are vitamin K, K1 and K2, and vitamin D, and a couple of minerals. And if you have those in adequate quantity, the calcium gets put where it needs to go um, instead of depositing in the arteries. And so without vitamin K and D in adequate quantity, you get a double whammy. You get hardening of the arteries, and you get osteoporosis. With these things in adequate quantity, that get the calcium going where it needs to. And I mentioned my, you know, my, my friend Kristen, she's been doing the vitamin K and vitamin D, uh, boron and silicon are the other two mineral supplements now for a couple of years. Her DEX scan, her bone density increased. She, she had her last scan two years ago, or, or, or an older scan two years ago, most recent scan was very recent. Her bone density increased in hip and spine and she's you know, 68, 69 years old. So, and there's these, these supplements don't have the downside of statins and bisphosphonates. And they actually, they, they, the same studies that show, the same medical journal journal research that shows the problems with statins and bisphosphonates shows that with vitamin K and vitamin D, you have improved cardiovascular outcomes, improved risk, reduced risk, and reduced risk of cancer from vitamin, taking at good quantities of vitamin D. And these supplements are inexpensive and they don't have the downsides of these meds. Well, I'm happy to say that I'm taking vitamin D and vitamin K. And, awesome. you know, uh, I, uh, and I have really bad osteoporosis. And one of the things that I have seen is that more and more of the medical people are prescribing vitamins and supplements when instead of medication or in addition to medication. So there has been some movement there. But at the same time, the supplement companies have no oversight at all. Well, that's 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 that's, that's 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 not correct. Okay, so tell us. Okay, so how is that not correct? That's, that's def- uh, uh, there's a story there. In fact, I've linked okay. to it in my article. I've written an, an article on this. This was, I think, it was it was a year ago, February, maybe two years ago. I don't remember exact date, but the the most recent attorney general of the state of New York, uh, Schneiderman, Eric Schneiderman, uh, one came out with a big. PR with press kits and media kits saying that he had tested a couple of dozen supplements from three different vendors and almost none of them had what they were supposed to have and they were all contaminated and it was a big to do and he you know demanded they'd be pulled off the market yada 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 a big splash well the supplements he had tested were extracts and the way he had tested those he had caused them to be tested for DNA it turns out in the process of making an extract, not much DNA gets into the extract, but some does. But that DNA gets degraded in the process that you use heating and solvents. And in that process, DNA gets degraded. So if you're testing an extract for DNA, find it. You know, it's not going to it's not going to come up. It was an invalid method of testing, and in fact, it was so invalid. Apparently, you couldn't even find someone in the field to do that for him. He hired a little bit of that testing. Well, uh, the three 
uh, vendors that were victimized by this, Walmart and Walgreens and GNC. Walmart and Walgreens are you know, general purpose retailers. They rolled over. But GNC, they're in the supplement business. And they didn't give an inch. They said, nope, we have, all of our supplements have exactly what we say they have, and we're standing behind that, and we're not giving an inch. Well, in due course, <laughs> uh, it, it did not end up on the headlines, but there was a settlement with GNC where Schneiderman uh, admitted that GNC did have what they said to have. Uh, he withdrew the investigation uh, uh, and you know, agreed they'd done nothing wrong the whole time. And if you look at, there's a, a subscription site, a Consumer Labs. Uh, they are, um, uh, it's very inexpensive, but they test all supplements to see, they test hundreds of supplements to see if they have what they're supposed to have. I, I'm a subscriber. Uh, almost you know, 99% have what they say they have. The ones that uh, fail are very few, and it's usually, you know, it's a little bit over or under, or, or the tablet doesn't dissolve right or something like that. But it's, it is propaganda that supplements are not what they're supposed to be. And oh, ironically... Yeah. Okay. When you finish your point, I'd like to say what I was thinking about, which wasn't really that, but that is a good point anyway. Okay, well, ironically, when I was, doing, uh, I was writing up my article on vitamin D, the very week I was doing the research and, and writing that up, uh, a piece appeared on vitamin D in a medical journal saying, ah, vitamin D, it's, it's worthless, don't take it, because it doesn't improve bone density. Really? And I, took, I, I took, a, took a look at this and said, I was astounded because vitamin D had not been known to improve bone density. Vitamin D improves bone strength and reduces fracture risk. And that's not the same thing as improving density. Mm-hmm. The bisphosphonates improve bone density, but they do not reduce fracture risk. So they, they were correct. It did not, although, you know, according to, you know, Kristen did, did, did actually bone strength, bone density did increase, but, but, at least as far as studies show, vitamin D doesn't actually improve density, but it improves bone strength, reduces fracture risk, which is what you care about. Oh, absolutely. And absolutely. This I'm well, sorry. Well, well, I'm just telling you that, you know, t- today people are talking, if you look at some of these medical websites, they are talking about vitamin D. It's getting known. But what I was thinking about more is my experience is that in, you know, because I am, I really can't take medication, so I'm really medication averse. I have trouble with supplements and vitamins also. I have bad side effects from almost everything. And um, one of the things that's um, going on is that we, it's really hard for us, the consumers, to get adequate information because, you know, you go online and this is what the company is saying, but they're the producer of it. Then you have some anecdotal evidence. And so I'm, I'm not feeling that I'm getting the right kind of information that I would like to have about vitamins and supplements. It's like there's a, an idea that there's medication, and then there's all that other stuff. And that other stuff is a drug. So I remember the first time I ever took licorice, I almost passed out. Because And nobody told me that for some people, licorice can cause palpitations and other heart conditions. So I think that, you know, that I'm not against vitamins and supplements. I'm just saying that part of it is that we don't take it seriously. There's been too much of this attitude. is like, this is real medication and that's foo-foo stuff. Hmm. You know, and that uh, therefore it's not going to be. And at, at the same time, I understand that not every company can afford to have all these big medical trials. I don't know what the answer is. I'm only raising it as from a consumer's perspective that that can be a problem. 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and you know what I have to say about that is, uh, but you have to be discriminating. Um, when it comes to prescription meds, there are sites like askapatient.com where they p- compile mm-hmm. reports from patients of you know what how they did with various meds, yeah. and they've got you know it's encyclopedic, and uh, you can go on there and see, and that's very helpful. Uh, you can you can just search on just general purpose search on adverse events. I mean, in your case, since you're so sensitive, you know, unfortunately, there's probably not going to be other people out there, you know, who are all as sensitive as you reporting on meds. So you may be stuck with, for you, you know, trying it out and seeing what happens or, you know, trying a low dose, trying a little yeah. bit. Yeah. Bit for, but th- uh, there are yeah. other people, though, who, I mean, I've discovered lately you know, that there are a lot more people who are very medication adverse and who have problems as well that you don't know about if you're living, sitting alone in your house, you know, struggling. And you, you don't know. And that's the, the great thing about the Internet. And, of course, the terrible thing about the Internet is there's all, all kinds of garbage on there. So if you're trying to be your own doctor <laughs> and you're doing research, you can read all kinds of stuff. And you don't know how, you know, reliable any of it is. So what do you say? To people like us, um, uh, you know, about how are we going to keep ourselves safe? Well, well, Google Scholar is your friend. A Google Scholar just you know picks up articles out of the journals, and you it kind of cuts out all the garbage. Uh, Google and, Scholar. Yes. So you're supposed to Google Google Scholar. Uh, yeah, whatever. Yeah, it, it, I, I, it's a bookmark for me. So you go to Google Scholar and put in you know name of the drug and adverse events, for example. But I mean, you, I, I've I've I pointed out I've got ask a patient and there's a couple other resources in my paper that I've linked to that you can go to that will you know give you compile adverse events from like the FDA and so forth. And so you know the, those resources are out there. Uh, and but then you know it, getting used to reading medical journal articles is a very good practice, and it's it's not that hard. And it, at the beginning, you know you may have to Google a lot. You may have to Google you know a lot of words that you don't understand to see what do these all these words mean. But after a while, uh, you know it it uh, you know really becomes you know second nature almost to be able to start to read these things and to you know get the sense of you know what's going on with these meds. And you know you find out all kinds of interesting things like. Uh, uh, for uh, what was it for statins? Oh yeah, diabetes risk. That I was looking for what's good about statins, and what came up was diabetes risk. It's like oh, <laughs> more bad things I didn't think of. You know, <laughs> didn't realize we're out there. Uh, so we we shouldn't be shy about reading medical journals. Um, and, Sometimes they have summaries that even humans can understand. Yeah, yeah. You, read the you know what I mean? They're, they'll have like some kind of a synopsis. That tells you what it is that you're going to read. That can be very helpful. But oh, for, yes. some, for some people, it is extremely challenging, J.D. It is. That's true. Well, like I say, there's, you know, Ask a Patient and uh, some other websites that are more oriented towards, uh, you know, non-technical people. And then another resource that's a very good resource, uh, if you have a particular illness, are patient forums. Uh, I hang out in a Parkinson's forum. And it's great because people are very, there's a lot of very astute, very well-educated people that hang out in these forums and they, you know, will post, you know, the latest, you know, interesting research. And on the other hand, if people show up who have problems, uh, again, educated people will jump in and, you know, give advice. And 
uh, so the other day, someone posted a you know long sad tale about you know how her mate was engaging in all these you know very strange unwelcome behaviors, and you know half a dozen of us jumped up and said, oh, you know he must be taking a dopamine agonist. You know what what meds is he taking? That you must be taking one of those because it was obvious he was having you know impulse control disorder. So. Patient forums can be a great place to hang out if you find a forum for your particular, you know, particular problem. And there are a lot of those forums out there, probably for every, you know, for say multiple chemical sensitivities. I'm certain, Beth, that for example, you could find some good forums for that. Or I could even oh, look and there find are. Yeah. Oh, there are. There's a lot of uh, fibromyalgia, chronic fatigue. I have so many yeah. illnesses. There are so many forums. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> you know, there's another thing that I think we should talk about here uh, before our time runs out, which, because believe it or not, our time is moving. Um, I'm so glad that you have shared some of these resources and some of this information because we don't want people to just get scared. We want people to get knowledge get informed, is that it is a support to the doctor for us to do our own research. We expect our doctors to know everything. Uh, You're not quite as old as I am, J.D., but you're more in the era. Uh, When uh, we grew up, it was like the doctor was God, and that was it. And then there was a nurse, and it was always a man. (laughs) (laughs) So it was the male God on top of everything. And I remember having this attitude Oh, mommy is going to take me to the doctor and the doctor is going to fix it. Well, needless to say, I had a lot of problems that the doctor never did fix. And I was sort of appalled and offended that they didn't fix it. But, you know, they can't fix everything. They, and things are so complex and there are so many medications and there are so many alternative treatments and there are so many supplements and vitamins and acupuncture and this and that and the other thing. I mean, how the heck do, can we expect any doctor to keep abreast of all the information that's coming out about medicine? And I don't know how many of the doctors have the privilege of receiving the kind of information that you've been telling us about today. And so instead of expecting our, in fact, I'm going to tell you that I was with somebody at the doctor and the doctor sat down on his laptop and was Googling the the disease or the medication or whatever. And, and the person that I was with was very upset because it made him think that the doctor was ignorant. To me, that meant that the doctor had enough humility to look yeah. it up. Because how do you, I mean, we don't have encyclopedias in our head. And why wouldn't it be okay for them to double check? Unfortunately, a lot of the information that's out there is kind of hidden, as you've, as you've seen. So they may feel that they're giving you the right prescription. If we are interrevolutionaries, then we recognize that our relationship with authority needs to change. We're not going to just throw stones at authorities. I am not going to throw stones at all pharmaceutical companies, I know you wouldn't either because medication is helping you. But um, I'd be more likely to do it. But, but I, I've <laughs> been taking estrogen and progesterone for, I don't know, 38 years. You're not supposed to, but I do because that is good for my bones. Yeah. And that has saved my life. And, you know, and I'm grateful that those exist. I'm grateful that there's uh, ibuprofen, you know, for the once in a six months that I take one. I am grateful that there are pharmaceuticals that help people. And I, so I don't want to just be an adversary. I do feel that gratitude, but absolute power corrupts absolutely. And we have to be 
willing and able to confront everybody. We have to confront the authority of the drug companies. We have to confront the authority of the doctors. And we have to realize that that's actually a good thing, that we are supporting our doctors when we've done our own homework. Uh, We have doctors now that, you know, I, I have a much more, the doctors themselves have changed. More harmonious relationship, more interactive, oh, you know, I've been checking on this, what do you think of that? And the doctor says, yeah, well, why don't you take a look at that? They're more likely to ask you if you want something than they used to be. But you didn't even know they wrote you a prescription, they would say, I wrote you a prescription. (laughs) You didn't even know what they wrote a prescription for. Yeah, I want to say there are a lot of really great doctors out there. I mean, I I got onto vitamin K from a doctor actually who advised me to take you know. So I, I do not I do not advocate people having doctors. I mean, you know, for God's sake, so you got a precious fifteen minutes if that with a doctor. Yeah. And so you know, you want to gather information, you want to you know take notes. You want to absorb the best you can whatever the doctor has to say. And then if a prescription comes out of that, you want to use these tools to check on it and make sure that. You know, it's going to do you good, uh, and and you know, if doctor has the humility to get on the internet, that's great. You know, you know, you know, extra pluses for that. Um, but the other thing too is that, I mean, you know, doctors have to treat you know large numbers of patients. They have to deal with large numbers of different kinds of meds. Yes. Patient, we have the luxury of becoming experts on our very particular problems, on our very particular meds that we are taking or not taking, and so forth. So, you know, we, we, it's not about us becoming doctors, you know, for the general public, but we can become doctors in the sense of understanding our own situation, understanding, you know, the meds that we are taking or might want to take or might not want to take deeply. You know, we have the luxury of time and research in ways that in ways that doctors don't. Uh, but I, you know, I'm definitely not about doctor bashing, even doctor arguing. If your doctor, you know, if you have a great relationship and your doctor is open and is open to you know some of this information, you want to print out some of these studies and you know bring it to the office. That's great. If the doctor's open, if the doctor's not open, that's fine. Just take his or her advice and you know do your own research and you know figure out what you need to do. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. We are we need synergy between the patients and the doctors and the nurses and the whole profession, just like we need synergy in everything else we do. So before we complete our show, first, uh, James, would you tell us what we're doing next week? Next week's topic, a racist, misogynist, climate-denying nuclear cowboy for a candidate? <laughs> the Republican Party is paying for its past sins. Let's look beyond the candidates. Everybody loves to hate Donald Trump except those who love him, and many people fret about Hillary Clinton's scandals. But Trump is the result, not the cause, of the Republican Party's problems, and Hillary Clinton's flaws cannot be dismissed without a look at money in politics. So let's get off the easy candidate bashing and acknowledge what's really happening this electoral season. Let's also look at the fantastic surge of the inner revolution that is transpiring at the same time. So sit down with a cup of tea, cruise down the road, or let us entertain you while you're doing your chores as we bring you an hour of clear thinking, humor, and self-honesty. And call in, too, if you can. We'd love to hear from you. So join us. And now for a final word. Well, it's going to be very hard for me to not candidate bash, but I've made a a commitment in that card, in that show description. I would really like to thank you, J.D., for having... Uh, not only given us an education that is very shocking to us. And, oh, I forgot. I saw an article which said that many surgeries that we do are useless. 
and there is this this thing about meniscus surgery as an example, which I had. Yeah, spinal fusions and vertebroplasty for people who have osteoporosis. It turns out these surgeries are useless and they're still being prescribed for the same reasons. You know, like nobody is awakened to that reality. So, um, you know, this is not a medication alone problem. And I'm very glad that you've brought this information to our audience, J.D., and also very grateful that you were able to take something that was so painful and difficult for you and turn it into something beneficial for all. And that is a true inner revolutionary. All right. (laughs) Yay. (laughs) So thanks for being on our show. Oh, you're very welcome. Okay, guys, we'll see you next week. Bye. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Inner Revolutionary Radio with Beth Green and James Maynard. The next episode will broadcast live next Thursday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. And don't forget Inner Revolutionary TV on voiceamerica.tv. Think outside the box and join us.